I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and is striving after the wind. Kyle, good job. You, you forgot to say the magic Christ covenant line. Praise be to God. There we go. That's, a, that's still a new thing for me. I'm still learning that. Hey, I'm super excited to be with you this evening. And for the next, uh, the next few weeks as we look at this series on work, and uh, I think it's going to be a really good series. So go ahead and open to Ecclesiastes 2 if you have not yet. And, uh, and as we look at this idea of what is work tonight, and we're certainly going to get into just a little bit of the current political climate and culture and what does it mean to go through sensitivity training and diversity training and inclusivity training and all those things and how do we navigate those waters as a Christian. But to give you a word picture, I like to, I like to, to fly fish and I tie my own flies. And so uh, I was tying a fly the other day and it's a tarpon fly. I got invited to go on a tarpon trip and I'm super excited about that. And, uh, and so I'm tying this fly that's about four inches long that's supposed to be able to catch like a 120 pound fish. And as I was going through, I was like, I'm just gonna tie this real quick. And my buddy who was telling me how to tie it said, you need to know how to put on the body material before you can really tie the fly. And I was like, yeah, 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 I got it. And I messed up like $20 worth of flies before I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna learn how to tie the body material first. And so that's a little bit like where we're gonna go in this work series. We need to understand work before we can understand how to navigate work. It's really, really important. And so let's just look at, at, uh, at some of these uh, surveys that you did. And I think these surveys will tell us a little bit of how much, how many of us understand what, what work is and, uh, and maybe some work that we need to do in understanding work. So the first one that we had was, how often does your workplace discuss diversity and inclusion? And, uh, and so you put like, well, at least monthly, most of you. Some of you said quarterly, and some of you who are, I don't know what you do, um, rarely or not at all. Uh, and so some of, some of the ones who said at all the time are like, are there openings at your job? Uh, but just know like uh, diversity and inclusion, those are common, common things that are coming up more and more and more. 
for instance, in three weeks, we're going to have a panel in here, and uh, uh, Russell Moore, who uh, works for the ERLC, if you don't know what that is, he's, he's a big wig in the, in the church world. He's agreed, he's in Washington, he's, he's in the know on a whole lot of things. He's agreed to be on a panel with us, but he works for a religious organization. So far, everybody I have talked to who is in the work world, who I've asked to be on the panel, has said either no or I can be on it, but there's things I can't say because it'll get back to my potential employer or my boss or whoever it could. And so just know we're in a little bit of uncharted territory when it comes to these things. So what about uh, when diversity and inclusion uh, conversations happen with people who are not Christians or Christians who believe differently than me, I get I like the second one, argumentative and vocal. The 11 of you can rant when we're done. Uh, a lot of you said either uncomfortable and shut down or I don't know how to handle these conversations. But the majority gave the answer, which I gave too. The reason they're highlighted in green is because I had to answer to see where people were going with the polls. Uh, so you try to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person. Spoiler alert, I think that's gonna be the way of the future. I think the way that most of the world is going to change, or at least to hear the Christian perspective, is not going to be so much like you just take over a Zoom meeting and you tell them what you really think, um, or you stand on your cubicle and you just let it be known that you're a Christian and that's that. I think the way most of these conversations really are going to be most effective is in a one-on-one, -on -one, one-off conversation, and that's going to be through relationship and through friendship, those kinds of things. So the next one, my work is currently, I, the last one, let's just go to the last one, something I dread. I really hate that for the 18 of you that said that. Like, that's no fun to be in that place where you think, I dread going to work. The majority of you said, it's something I do so that I can have the means to do what I love. Um, that's a great answer, but it's actually a wrong answer. And I hope tonight we uncover why that's a wrong answer. And I'm saying wrong because I think this book, the Lord has revealed to us the purpose of work, um, a means to retirement, a place I usually, uh, a place I usually enjoy going, um, viewed as a ministry. And by the way, I actually think viewed as a ministry is a wrong answer also. And not that long ago, that's the one I would have told you is the right answer. Uh, and then, and by the way, I don't actually, um, I, I think, I, I think there's, there's like some truth in that, but I don't think that's the full answer. And then fulfilling, uh, and some of you put fulfilling. I had to put fulfilling because I work here and <laughs> just kidding. No, mine is definitely fulfilling. Uh, if money was no object, I would, this is a fun like Friday night question. You're sitting around with your friends and you're like, if I could do anything, what would I do? If you could do anything, what would you do? Uh, a lot of you, a few of you said I would quit my current job and I would not work anymore. Um, the pool's only good for the summer though. Like you gotta find a winter sport too and maybe have a little bit of money to do it. I would quit my job and do a different job. Let's just put a timeout right there. Then why don't you? If you hate your job that much, if I could do, if money was no object, I would quit my job and do something else. Like, start looking. Okay, next. Your boss doesn't want you there either. 
Like, they're like, they don't like being here. Like, you, they, you can tell. You can tell the people that are like, I did extra yesterday. And you're like, I don't like you at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can tell. So, uh, I, I like that I'd still do what I'm doing. Um, I think that's probably the, uh, the most healthy answer. And then no matter what, I've got to get out of my current job. The three of you, I'm, I hate that, but it actually might be a really biblical answer. So, fulfillment in the toil, uh, a little mini-series on work in a post-Christian culture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through Ecclesiastes 2, these verses we read, and I'm going to give you a few what I call rules. And, uh, and so they're not all my rules. Uh, I borrowed heavily from John Mark Comer in his book. I think it's just better to say your sources. Like, I hope the Holy Spirit revealed things to me. I did study the scriptures, um, but it, none of us have our own ideas. We all get creativity from other places. John Mark Comer has some great stuff. Um, John Piper. I'm sure there's another John out there. Tim Keller. Um, they all have some really great resources on work. Some of this I think I've learned from Pastor. Some of it I think I've learned from watching my dad and some of just the values that I had. So I, I think you'll see some of that come out as we go through this, this passage here. But let's, uh, let's take a look. We're going to start in the first, uh, the first few verses chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Um, I am going back to reading my Bible. If you've been around the whole process since I had the nail in my eye, we're starting back, folks. But occasionally, yes, like, but I have to hold it in the light like I'm 90. I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, if I say the wrong verse, just have grace with me. It's a little hard to see. Uh, so, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. All right, now, I think rule number one. Rule number one is it's called work for a reason. I told my dad when I first started working, I was like, man, it's like you're there all the time. And uh, I was working at a church at this point. It was my first like out of college job. I was working at a church. I was like, it's like you're there all the time. And we don't even pray all the time. Like we have to do stuff. Like I had to carry a whole bunch of Cokes to this one place and I had to set up for this event and do that and blah, blah, blah. And my dad just listened to me for a minute and he said, it's called work for a reason. And I was like, okay. And that totally ended the conversation. I was like, I guess it is called work for a reason. The, the biblical word here is emal. Emal is also a word that's found in the first chapter in Genesis, which, by the way, is a chapter with no sin. So this idea of work or toil predates sin. It's one, of the, it's one of the two gifts God gave us at the beginning. Really, I think you could probably divide two of those into three. Most people think when it says be fruitful and multiply, he's talking about only marriage. Well, what about all the single people? Um, like, could they not participate in that? Uh, I think you can actually be fruitful and multiply uh, without being married, and that is in, in a life that produces life through the power of Jesus Christ. And so, but toil is actually a Genesis 1 word, and it's used all throughout the Scriptures and so it's labor, it's toil, it's work really hard. And he says in here, I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Rule number two, somebody will replace you. When I left Johnson Ferry Baptist Church after 13 years, I was like, they are going to limp without me. I think they've gone through every Sunday just fine. Like, when, uh, before that, uh, when I was in college, I led this, this ministry at, at Kennesaw State University. I led crew there, and I was like, 
man, I set up the next leader and set up like a leadership team and all that. And I was like, they'll never be the same. I think they have like five staff members there now. Like they're doing fine too. It seems like every place I've left, like they're still going. I don't even think there's a plaque of me anywhere. Like my dad, my dad worked for 40 years for the electric company. He started as a lineman. He went to night school for seven years after my sister was born. He became an electrical engineer. He started out at the very bottom of that whole rung. He worked his way all the way up. By the time he retired, he was the president of the company. Now that is the American story. Like by his bootstraps, he became the president of an electric company and it was like one of the three largest of those companies in the country. It was pretty incredible. He's retired. We still have power. Like it still works. It's amazing. I don't know that there's a plaque of him either. Solomon says that here. So he hates his work and he realizes he's replaceable. Now, that tells me a couple of things. It tells me, one, the word work is neutral. If it predates sin and is used, it can be good. Post-sin, in Solomon's current view of work, it was bad. So work is neutral. It's how we approach it that makes it positive or negative. That's a really important definition in the Scriptures. Work is work, and God gave it to us, and it's one of the two or three things he gave us at the very beginning when all was right with the world. It's what we do with it that matters. And so Solomon's just kind of ticked, and he's speaking of young Solomon here. When he first became king, when he first took over, he worked really hard, and then he realized, like, I'm only going to be king for like 39 more years, and then some, some other sucker's going to come in here and take all this. What if he knocks down my gardens that I built? Like, what if, what if, what if? And so that's a normal progression. But we're going to see Solomon come out of this place. As this passage continues to progress, we're going to see him come out of this. So let's take a look. He says, and no one, uh, I'm sorry, and who knows whether the person who comes after me, I added that, he will be wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So Solomon, he's worked himself into a tizzy here. He's first started working, and he's like, oh, a year or two in, here comes the new nurse, here comes the new accountant, here comes the new whoever. They get all the stuff. They maybe went to a better school than you, and you're just like, are you kidding? You serious? I got your dry cleaning that time. Like, I, have, I had no your Starbucks order. Like, I, I am slaving away here, and you're just going to hand stuff to this person, or somebody jumps over you in a promotion, and the list goes on. And he starts to unravel a little bit. And so now Solomon, he's got a little power for you now that you get a little discretionary income. If you start to unravel, you can start to see where Solomon goes in this next section here. And so he says, so, verse 20, I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil and all my labors under the sun. You've, you have said this. I have said this. I work so hard. All I do is work. Like, oh, I wor I'm working so hard and nobody cares. That's exactly what Solomon is saying here. And so he says, I turned about. I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. 
what has this, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils benefits, uh, I'm sorry, with which he toils benefit the son for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation even in the night. His heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Rule number three, because Solomon, his work wasn't fulfilling, so it sounds like to me he worked harder. Here's the problem with my work's not satisfying, so I'm going to work harder. Solomon teaches us that if we give our work too much importance, it will lead to self-destruction. I don't care how good the endeavor is. I don't care how valuable your job is. You can be a preacher. You can be a teacher. You can be a homemaker. You can be whatever. There are women out there who have stayed home with their kids, men who have stayed home with their kids that ended up worshiping their kids. There are folks that work 80, 90-hour weeks to say that they're providing for their family when in reality they're providing for their ego. I had a call today. As I was preparing, uh, I was sitting at my desk. Um, <clears throat> I hope you can come over to, to our barn one day and check out the desk. It's really cool. Some buddies of mine built it, and uh, it has the nail that went in my eye in the desk. Uh, it's like epoxied in there. It's very cool. It lends itself to, to very godly things. And so you're sitting there. I was sitting there studying, and my phone rang, and I answered the phone, and it was a friend. And for the next 20 or so minutes, he described a self-destruction that is happening with him. He asked for help from me in that self-destruction that's going on. And I asked him. It was amazing. I was just reading over this, and I asked him. I said, do you feel like your work is too high of importance in your life? And he said, yeah, I think that's what's led to all of this. So there's even a balance, and I'm not talking work-life balance. Like some of us have jobs where if you're a fireman, you're gone for 24 hours a day. You can't be like, I've got to have work balance. going to be gone for 22. Like, no, I might have a fire. Stay. Stay the other two hours. Uh, like, like you, I'm not talking about how long you work. I'm talking about how important your work is. There are so many folks whose identity is wrapped up in that next dollar that's made. A long time ago, Ted Turner, um, you know, he's the guy that owns Ted's. Uh, Ted Turner, he, thank you, a couple of you laughed, that's right. He owns a couple other things too. But Ted Turner was asked years and years and years ago when he was super wealthy already, they said, Ted, what's going to make you happy? And he said, one more dollar. There's this idea that if my work takes up too much space in my heart, that it bubbles up above the place of God. God has set, just like too much alcohol will get you drunk, too much work will get you hurt. When it bubbles up and it takes the place of God, you are, you're, you're already in the spiral, and the Lord will allow you to come crashing down. And you know that. Some of your parents are divorced because of this. Some of you have hard feelings towards people because they traded you in for their jobs. And Solomon got to this place where his, his toil became too important. And it's weird. It became important because it was frustrating. 
That's like, not because he was like accomplishing more and more and more and it was more and more rewarding. The more he accomplished, the more frustrated he became and the more frustrated he became, the harder he worked and the harder he worked, the further he got away from the Lord. You know the story of Solomon's life, right? Solomon started as a guy who prayed a prayer of dedication to the temple of God. The part of Solomon's life that he's reflecting on here is the part where he had started to marry multiple women from other nations in order to create peace treaties between the nations. And as a result, they brought their idols to his house. And Solomon, the guy who prayed a dedication to the temple of God, began to worship those other idols. All because his work became his God. Never once does he say being king was bad. It was a bad occupation. No. So you just got to ask yourself the question, where is my work right now? Like how much heart do I give it? How much brain do I give it? How much do I give it in comparison to the Lord? So Solomon, by the end of his life, by the time he writes Ecclesiastes, has come full circle though. So this next paragraph is Solomon in much more real time writing. So let's see what he says. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Same word. In the first section, the amar is bad. In the second section, the amar is good. So, it's good that I go to Christ's covenant and I think, man, that was a good week when I look back. On Fridays, my Sabbath day, when I take off and I'm not in the office, it's good on Fridays for me to look back and think, that was, that was noble toil. That was healthy toil. And that's what Solomon says. He says, there's nothing better. Something has shifted in Solomon here, and I think we're going to unearth that in just a second. He says, <clears throat> He says, nothing's better than someone should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Then he gives an addendum to that. And he says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. You see, there's a, an old uh, Hebrew word, and you might have heard different like Yiddish versions of it, but it's rule number four. And that is, fulfillment in the toil means I'm going back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 1, when God gives Adam and Eve the command to work. In fact, turn there. It's worth seeing. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I think you'll see in Genesis 1, uh, verse, uh, look at verse 28. Genesis 1, 28. He says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, you're the greatest zookeepers ever. P.S., you're the only zookeepers ever. And, uh, and so what does he say to them? He says something very interesting. God says, now this is when work was good. They didn't even sweat when they worked yet. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. They had no laundry to do at the end of the day either. Nice. All right, so they, they didn't sweat. There, was, there wasn't even poison ivy. Like, this is a good time in life. 
Uh, nothing's going to sting you. Nothing's going to bite you. You're having a great time out there. You're going to name the animals giraffe. That would be an awesome one. Um, and so he says in here, though, he says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the heavens, every other living thing that moves on the earth. And right before he says that, he says, I want you to subdue it all. I want you to walk out like you own the place. The Hebrew word is kabash. It's a great word, kabash. I think it's where we get the word kaboom. And I'm not even kidding. Like, I think we get kaboom from kabash. Kabash. Kabash is when you walk up and you think, this place is mine. They won't know what hit them. God said to Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to walk up to the lion and I want you to say, I'm going to call you Big Kitty. Like, you know, like I'm going to call you what I want because you're mine. I own you. I love you, but I own you. I'm going I'm to show you that you're in my territory now. This is my dominion. They had kibosh everywhere they went. They went to a pond and they were like, hmm, catfish. Nice. And uh, like, 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 yeah, you're going to be what I called you because I kiboshed you. And so they had, they had this incredible permission from God to walk in and have dominion over it all. And what were they doing? They were having dominion over a perfect world so that the perfect world stayed perfect. What I think Solomon remembered as he neared old age and he writes, uh, he writes that verse that we just read in chapter 2, verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat or drink uh, and, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. I think he went back to Genesis 1. And I think he said, wait, wait, wait. Amar is Amar. I've just made it bad. Maybe I need to approach my work as though God is giving me some authority, some dominion. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says, you, if you're a Christian, hear me on this. You need to hear this. You are the priesthood of believers. When you go to work, it's like a priest walked in. You have been given God. This is going to sound like an inspirational talk, and it's not. It's just truth. You have been given as believers a God-given command to bring things back to the garden, to have kibosh, to have dominion over a broken world. In Genesis, the fence has broken, the cows are running around, things start growing really sharp teeth and liking to eat people and whatnot, and God never reneged on the command. He said, no, 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 you have kibosh, you're supposed to have dominion, it's just going to be harder now. We still, as believers, carry the weight of Jesus Christ into the room no matter what our job is. We're not slaves to our bosses or to policies or to politics. No, that's just the fence that's broken. And we get to walk in and say, I know that the fence is not supposed to look like that. And I am walking in as a follower of Christ who bears the weight in the name of Jesus. My name, just like we sang the last song, my name is carved on his hands and it is written on his heart. And I am sealed away with him in heaven is what Paul writes about. 
I get to walk into work as a son of the king, as a priest. And you know what? It doesn't matter what your job is, you get to do that. And I think he said, and that's rule number five, is that you are a priest going to work. You are bringing order and life into the world. Our job as believers is to bring things back to the garden. And Solomon here continues on and he says, I saw this was the hand from the hand of God, verse 25, for apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? Solomon knows, wait a minute, apart from living the way that God called me to live back in Genesis 1 and now in the New Testament with the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ, apart from that, I'll never have enjoyment in my job. It'll either be a good day or a bad day, and that's all it'll ever be. How was your day? It was fine. How was your day? It wasn't so great. My boss, blah, blah, blah. My coworker, blah, blah. It was good. I got these things done, and I feel good about myself. That's all work will ever be. That is not what it was supposed to be in Genesis 1. We're not bringing anything back to the garden with that outlook. And so, he says, verse 26, For to the one who pleases him... God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Do you hear that? One person gets bad work and one person gets good work, but they both get work. To the one who pleases God, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. They're both working. Think about this. When you go to work as a Christian, you should have wisdom and knowledge and joy. And everybody else should just be in the business of gathering. That is an elevation of God's people, closing the holes in the fence, trying to bring things back to life in the garden. I mean, this couldn't be a more clear passage. And he goes on. I just, I'm going to read that again. That's so good. He says, to the one who pleases God, he's given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to the one who pleases God. And this is vanity and a chasing after the wind. And he's not talking about all of work being vanity. He's talking about that person who he used to be. And so if you're like, Thomas, I got, I got a ways to go in my work. Well, you know what? So did Solomon, and he came back. The Lord brought him back. So let me give you a, a, few, a few real pointed, quick thoughts. And, uh, and I, I think that this will be helpful for you. See, it doesn't matter what you do. You can kibosh through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have dominion. You can bring a weight into the office. It doesn't matter what you do. In college, I worked as an apartment complex maintenance guy, and, uh, and I worked under the maintenance guy. And so it's pretty glorious. And, uh, and so the first day on the job, uh, Tony, uh, Tony gave me a plunger, and he said, the lady in whatever apartment, her toilet's clogged. And I was like, I mean, I, I, I really didn't know how to really use a plunger. And I was like, okay, cool. And, uh, and, and so I walked into this lady's apartment. It was an old grandma, and, uh, and she had seriously clogged that toilet. And it was all there for you to just check and see, like, yep, it's definitely clogged. And so day one on the job, I take the plunger. This is going to make a few of you nauseated. I take the plunger, and I lean over real good, you know, and I'm like, here we go. And I plunge. And I plunge, and it goes kabloosh, boo. 
Yep. I, I was so close with that lady after that. It was a terrible, terrible moment. But you know what? When I would go into the office, and I didn't know this was happening at the time, but the Lord had gotten a hold of my life, and I was reading the scriptures, and I would listen to my headphones. They had cords at that point. Like, I had headphones on, and like, I had, ta- I had cassette tapes. It was awesome, because the CD player that I had would skip, and so I had cassette tapes. And I would like listen to different Christians, preachers and apologists and whatever else when I was walking around with my backpack blower or, you know, but when people would come by, I would say hello to them. But, uh, but when I would go into the office, they would ask me questions or bring me into their conversations. And I just felt like I can, I can talk about the Lord here. I can talk about how I would do it. I can talk about what I think. I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't know it until I had left, until I was gone from that place, that like the Lord was letting me kibosh there. He was letting me, there was a lady who she and her husband were having major marriage problems, and she would come up to me and she would say, uh, you know, here's what's, here's what's going on. Uh, and I was able to talk to her. Or another lady who worked in the office who was concerned about their marriage would say, Thomas, what do you think about this or that? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm 20. Um, but, like, but I knew enough of the Lord, and I had, I had some other marriages I could look to, like my own parents, where I could say, I, I mean, I think this, or I think that, or I don't think she should do this, or I think he should do that. And what, I didn't know it at the time, but it was kiboshing. There were holes in the fence, and I was just a 20-year-old. And I was plunging toilets and hanging ceiling fans and using a backpack blower and riding the golf cart around a lot. Um, but like I was doing those things. But in the meantime, the Lord was teaching me that work can be good, even if it's just little parts of it. The rest of it can feel like work, and it did. But I even took joy in cleaning the pollen out of the stairwells. I was like, it's clean now. Mm. But then it wasn't when I turned back around because it's pollen season. Uh, But you think about it. You don't have to have the perfect job to be able to do this. Do you think Jesus wasted two and a half decades of his life being a tecton, a builder, just waiting for the day he could be a rabbi? No. I bet there were some pretty incredible conversations out on the job site. I bet you will meet some of those folks in heaven. What about Paul, the tent maker? We know Paul is a missionary and all those things, but he paid for his own journeys. I think he probably made some connections and relationships. And you know what? Sometimes he was just by himself, just making tents. And maybe he prayed over who was going to live in that tent or stay in that tent. But he did work. And I imagine it was good work. So, if you want to discover your place in the world, a scripture, great scripture is Lamentations 327, because all of you are young, and it says, it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. It is okay if you have to start at the bottom. It is okay if you're treated like you're starting at the bottom. The Bible says it is good for you to bear the yoke while you are young. It's okay to pay your dues. You can still kibosh. So I would just ask you a few questions if you're trying to figure out, like, should I stay in this job or should I go? I'm getting all this, all this stuff pushed at me, and it's, not, it's super political, and, or I just don't love what I do. I would just ask you to write down these thoughts here. They're not going to be up on the screen. One is, what are you passionate about? That question, if you could do anything and money was no object, what are you passionate about? 
The same, same idea, what do you love? And sometimes you can do what you love, but sometimes you can't. We have friends that live in Zimbabwe, dear friends, and for us to have this conversation with them, they would be like, what are you talking about? I don't get to pick a job that I love. I just have a job. It's up to me to make it good. We don't always get the dream job. Don't believe the lie. And there are Christians pumping that lie out. God has this job that's so meaningful for me, blah, blah, blah. Maybe. Maybe he means for you to be in that job, whether you think it's super meaningful or not. He's got a job for you, though. And it's up to you to kibosh in that job, to subdue it, to, to have dominion as a priesthood of believers. Uh, well, what are you bad at? Maybe you're a bad singer, but you love singing. I would just say go ahead and rule that out. Like, don't do that. But, but think about it. Some of you are like, man, I really like this thing. I can't understand why it's so hard for me to do it. You may not be good at it. There are lots of people that are not good at their job that would do a lot better in another job, and they could kibosh better if they had that job. Some of you work with them. Uh, ah, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, man, it took them three hours to do that. Wow. And they're like, I work so hard. And you're like, yep, you did. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, I, I think you've got to ask this question too. Does it make the world a more garden-like place? Because some work much more naturally lends itself to giving life, and some work will never give life. I'll give a, just a, gross, a grossly clear analogy. If someone said, I'm in the pornography industry, I would say, you need to leave because that job will never give life. If somebody said, I work in politics, I would share the gospel with them, and then, I'm just kidding, that's a joke. Um, <clears throat> no, if somebody said, I work in Washington, or I work in politics, I work at the Capitol, I would say, well, that can clearly go either way. But you're the one that holds the key to it going either way. So, ask yourself the question, is there a chance for life in this job? Uh, I think another thing is, what doors is God opening in your life? Um, I think you gotta ask like, what is blessing? What's God blessing? If you're saying, uh, if you're saying like, man, I have this one job, but I keep, people keep asking me to do this thing on the side, and like I can't, like, even if I just barely do it, it turns out really good, like maybe that's something the Lord's blessing. Um, what are people near you saying to you? People that love the Lord, that are honest, what, are they telling you anything right now? If you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to work and how does that look, do you have anybody in your life that's saying, you know, you really ought to think about X, Y, and Z? Well, maybe you ought to listen to that. I'm not saying that's totally the Lord, but I think God gives us counsel. Uh, there is something that you have to do. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes there are things that you have to do uh, and it might not be within your job, or it might not be your whole job, but it's within your job. So let me just say it again more clearly, because I typed that out wrong, and it's the left eye. So uh, sometimes you're like, man, I need to, I, I, I have some moments of life in this job, but a lot of it is just a job. Well, that was me for four years at the apartment complex. And there was enough life there to keep me there. 
I think you got to ask yourself the question, it may not be my perfect job, but there are moments of perfection in that job, and it's really good and really rewarding, and it's rewarding for all the right reasons, and that it's bringing folks back to the Lord. It's bringing wholeness and dominion. And then, lastly, I would say this, and these next two are just bonuses. Don't forget that God still honors a Sabbath. All work and no Sabbath, well, you know the rest. You need a Sabbath. And I would even encourage you sometimes on your Sabbath, especially if you have a desk job, think about doing something physical. There's great value in the Bible. In fact, if you want to look up manual labor Bible verses, there's tons of them. There's great value in doing something with your hands. The other day I was working in the yard, last Friday I was working, and I was like, I was like, I'm kiboshing. This grass was tall and now it's not. That weed was there and now it's gone. Uh, our littlest Boston Terrier Gatsby, he peed on a tree and I was like, you killed that tree. Like, I was like, we're all kiboshing here. We're like bringing it back. We're having dominion over this whole place. And, uh, and then I had this like kind of, it was a little prideful, I'll be honest, but I had this thought, I was like, never trust a man that can't cut his own grass. And then I kept on cutting my grass. But there is something, it's not that you don't always cut your own grass, but if you're just like, oh, that's beneath me, never trust that man. Uh, I think there's something valuable to doing just some work. So if they ask you to take the trash out, be like, I'll take the trash out with my master's degree. I'll do it. There's something valuable, even in the Bible, there's something valuable, especially in the Bible, about occasionally just rolling your sleeves up and saying, I'm just going to do some work. I mean, the greatest example, of course, is Bruce Almighty and then Karate Kid, but also Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look, as we kind of round out this evening, I was talking with Chris Mayako, a friend of mine who's an executive with UPS, and I said, Chris, here's what's going on. We're doing a work series, and it's going to be, there's a whole lot of stuff, and these, these, these you know, young adults are getting stuff just shoveled at them so fast, and he said, Thomas, the rate of change is unprecedented. He said they're facing things their parents, their grandparents, none of them faced. And I said, well, how'd you do it, Chris? Because Chris is about to tire, retire from UPS, and he said, I said, if you were going to talk to him, what would you say, Chris? And he said, Oh, well, I mean, I wouldn't tell them anything they don't already know. And I said, well, just humor me. What would you tell them? And he said, well, I'd tell them you have the same God today as, as Moses had before he went before uh, Pharaoh. I'd tell them we have the same God today that Daniel had when he didn't bow down to the statue. He said, I'd tell them to work hard. And Chris, Chris's favorite book when it comes to work is the book of Proverbs. One of Chris's favorite verses is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chris works really hard, but not too hard. His job is very important, but not overly important. But you know what is the most important by far? When you talk to Chris, you'll find out a little bit about what he does. You'll find out that he likes money management. You'll find out that he likes to invest in stocks. You'll find out all kinds of things about Chris. You'll find out about their house in Florida and how he pastors this little tiny church in Florida and just loves it. And the last thing you'll find out is that he's an executive with UPS. 
If you go to his work and you say, who's Chris Miyako? They may not even tell you about his church or whatever else. They would just say, oh, Chris is pretty high up. It's because a long time ago when he was your age, he decided I'm going to love God the most and I'm going to make work a good thing, but it's not going to be my ultimate thing. One time, United Way and some other folks were having a meeting, and uh, they were high, uh, highly pro-abortion, and Chris was asked to be a part of the meeting and to support UPS in the meeting and to encourage them, and uh, he was driving home from his work, and he's, he's a kibosher. He's like always trying to bring things back to order, and Chris was driving home from work on a Friday night. This is when he lived in Atlanta, and uh, he was driving down in, towards, from Atlanta to Marietta. He's moving on over, getting through traffic, and he said, Thomas, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And he said, big boy, you turn that car around. That's how Chris talks. He said, big boy, you turn that car around. You tell your boss you can't be a part of that meeting. And he said, I argued with him. He said, I said, God, I don't have another job. God, I got four kids at home. Like, I can't tell my boss I'm not going to be a part of that meeting. Chris knew there was a big hole in the fence and the animals were running wild and he's called to, to be a priesthood of believers and to help bring dominion and find joy in his toil and all of a sudden he's convicted by the Lord and it's really heavy and so Chris said okay God I'll do it but only because I just know you're telling me and he turned his car around went back to the office by the time he got there it was close to 6 p.m. And he was like, my, there's no way my boss is going to be here. He's like, it's Friday. It's like right at 6. There's no chance my boss is here. His boss was the only person on the floor. Chris walked up to his boss, and he explained the situation. And he just said, I just feel convicted. I just can't do this. It goes against my value system. And I just, I'm really sorry I have to tell you this. It was a very respectful conversation. And a few of you have talked to me. You've had these conversations with your bosses recently. Chris's boss said, Chris, I understand, and I appreciate your honesty. Uh, I think his exact words were, I appreciate your candor. And he said, Chris, at that part of the meeting, he said, I want you to go to the meeting, but at that part of the meeting, you can leave. And Chris said, okay, thank you. That's, that's generous. That's what I'll do. Mon the meeting is Monday. All weekend long, Chris is feeling good. He's like, man, the Lord gave me a conviction. I followed it. He honored it. This is great. Still, still not fired from UPS just yet. He goes to, to the meeting Monday morning, and his boss walks in and said, hey, that meeting got canceled. That's weird, huh? It's amazing what happens when we have the right view because he gives wisdom, and he gives knowledge, and he gives joy. Our theme verse for this year that the Lord put on my heart back in January, I think still holds true. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If your job right now feels like the negative Amar and kiboshing seems all but impossible, and you are a Christian, I think this is a great time to come to Christ if you're weary and you're heavy burdened, because he will give you rest, and he's going to tell you, I want you to take my yoke upon you, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the midst of an ever-changing culture, some things just don't change. And the grace and the strength and the joy of the Lord can be our strength no matter what changes 
come down the pipe. And so let's be folks that see work as Genesis 1. It's good. Let's be folks that see our lives as those that are having dominion. Let's be folks that see ourselves as Christians as, man, when I walk into the place, I am a priest. I'm representing the Lord, full of the Holy, surround, the, the Holy Spirit, surrounded by the, the presence of the Lord. And let's just see if the Lord can't help bring some light into a very dark world. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us your Holy Spirit if we are Christians, Lord. You've given us these wise words from Solomon where he went from bad to a really good place in viewing work and life and his purpose for you. Lord, would you help us to be folks that are helping bring dominion over the broken fences Give us wisdom and knowledge and joy as we work. It's in Christ's name I pray, Father. Amen.